hoping if I move this music, <clears throat> I don't undo the praise team. Am I right about that? I'm just going to slip it in here. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> um, so before we pray together, um, I just want to lay a little bit of groundwork. Uh, here we have a saying, and that saying is, I do me, you do you. We're not here to tell anybody what to think. We're here to gather together, and my role is maybe to give us some things to think about. If we don't understand that grace abounds, that there is forgiveness for all things, then it's really not safe to take things out and look at them. <clears throat> so the first thing that you need to know about this pastor is that I'm a sinner just like you. I have the same kinds of flaws and the same kinds of distortions and am capable of just really incredible misjudgments. So if that's me <clears throat> doing me, it's got to be safe for you to do you. And as a sinner, please pray with me. Lord, I, I don't know <clears throat> completely what the future holds. But I know that you are creating a path for us individually and for this community together to be a part of that plan. Some small role that we might play in furthering your kingdom in the world. I pray that you give us the ability to hold on to that loosely, knowing that we don't control it, but that you control it. We have work to do, Lord. We just pray that your spirit would fill us up with grace and peace in knowing that you're always doing things in us that we aren't capable of doing for ourselves. In the safety of your presence, we pray these things. Amen. So as was just announced, um, we are going to spend the month of March together as a community <clears throat> looking at what we need to do to become a more inclusive community. We use a, a term in our missions, and that term, in, that term is safe spaces. We want to be a safer, safening, more safe, always becoming more safe space for people who are not only like us, but also maybe very different from us. So I really would like you all to mark your calendars for the month of March and plan to attend these sessions immediately following worship. Um, they're hard. Uh, they are taking a hard look at ourselves, at the lenses through which we look at things, the lenses through which we look at people. But we're going to use the rest of this month to try to get a lot of that hard out of the way so that we can come 
into those sessions with a more open mind, less fearful, um, maybe more willing to be changed um, than we might otherwise be. So with that in mind, and moving towards this goal of being a more inclusive community that embraces diversity as a strength. So let me throw this out here for a minute. When you hear the word diversity, what does that mean for you? If you're new here, you're going to have to get used to the fact that we all participate in the sermon. What is diversity? Different cultures, different. Mm -hmm. Got me? Not you? Oh, anything that's not me. I thought you were opting out. <laughs> Which is okay, because this is a safe space. But thank you for clarifying. Who else? Diversity. Variety. That's a good way to look at it. Absolutely. You know, cultural learning. What is culture? It's a way people live, talk, eat. Opposing viewpoints, John. Do we have any? Yeah, so, so I want to invite us to explore the amazing diversities because it isn't just the fact that God has this artistic sense of colorful beauty that no box of 52 crayons could possibly hold, that we all exist on this amazing spectrum because God loves diversity. But it isn't just the color of our skin. It's the lenses through which we look at almost everything. This congregation is diverse in many ways and becoming more diverse. We are, to a certain degree, theologically diverse. And by that, I mean we may not think exactly the same things about really important things, like God, like who is my neighbor, like what happens when I die, profound questions. We may not be standing on the same square. What makes it possible for us to be able to break bread together is just that simple idea that, look, I do me you do you. Okay? We have very different ideas about politics, about football, and other equally important things. I think we're on the same page in basketball. You understand what I'm getting at? That we have work to do. We all have some work to do to even just begin to identify the stumbling blocks that keep us from being able to fully embrace the diversity and the wonder of it 
that moves in our midst. So we have some prep work to do, and that's what we're going to get into today. We're going to get at something that I think is at work in all of us. If not, God bless you. Bear with us, because the rest of us are still working it out. You all know what the coronavirus is, right? Uh, some kind of vicious virus that's threatening to annihilate the planet, whatever. Um, you all know what H1N1 is, that flu virus that's probably killed more people than the coronavirus. And it, how does it move? What, how does that work? Person-to-person contact. We rub up against it. We don't take precautions like washing our hands, you know, that kind of thing. We don't take the steps to recognize that that is harmful and that the person carrying it isn't the problem. The it is the problem, right? So I would put to you today that there's another kind of virus that's moving, particularly in our culture. I think it's moving globally, but I don't operate globally anymore. I know that it's moving locally. It's not something that affects us physically as much as it afflicts the deepest parts of us, our souls. The the part that anchors everything else. Biblically, we don't talk about ourselves the way that the, the pagans did and the Greeks did, where we were like a body, a mind, and a spirit. Biblically, as Jesus people, we would say that we are a spirit. We are a soul that has a mind and a body. So if something is afflicting the soul, it's manifesting in every other part of what we do. And I would argue that there is an epidemic afoot, a toxin that is moving in our culture, that the the culture that we are immersed in is the culture through which it easily moves. And I would put to you today that that toxin has a name. And the name of that toxin is contempt. And we're going to explore what that means in just a minute. But contempt is poisonous. It's not just poisonous to the person it is aimed at. It's poisonous to the host as well. Contempt is a spirit. There is a a pantheon of emotions that we are constantly surrounded by and moving in. If anybody here is, is an empath, is deeply empathic, maybe you even feel those emotions around you in, in visceral ways. But those emotions are like spirits. In the same way that we can give a body to the Holy Spirit, individually and collectively, if we're not careful, we can give a body to the spirit of contempt. And if 
In the same way, an individual can be afflicted by the Holy Spirit and the community can be collectively afflicted by that Spirit in a positive way. Individuals can be consumed by contempt and communities can be consumed by contempt too. And when that happens, folks, awful things happen. Because when contempt gets a body, all bets are off. People do things that they never thought they would. People who find themselves in a contemptuous crowd, a crowd of people who are consumed with this contempt find themselves consumed by it, doing things they never thought they'd do. They were never taught to do. That's what happens when contempt gets a body. Now look, I told you I'm a sinner. I am as susceptible to this epidemic as you are. It could afflict me in the same way that it can afflict you. It can hide inside of me in little crevices and little spaces, just looking for an object to put itself on. And recognizing myself as a sinner saved by grace, by the very grace of God, and no other reason. It certainly isn't because I deserve it. I am on a journey to find those things inside of myself. To name them. Call it a little fact-finding. And then when I find them, I own them. Because it's the only way out. That's the journey we're on today. I'm doing me, you're doing you. You may have no contempt in you at all. You may be so filled with light that there's no room left for something like contempt to gain a footing. But for me, I'm not done yet. God's not done with me yet. I'm not a finished product. So I'm, I'm searching my soul for this toxin. If we don't see certain attitudes and behaviors as toxic and destructive, well then what we end up doing is just strutting around in them, even bragging about them, thinking that they're right. And let me tell you something, contempt, it's easy to think it's a strength because it is bombarded upon us through every media outlet in our culture. We are a contemptuous culture. I don't believe that we've always been that, but we certainly have had seasons of it. And if you think that this time is the worst time, we need to get into some history books and talk about things like lynching. Because lynching happens when contempt 
gets a body. Understand what I'm saying? These aren't unique times, but they are crucial times. And our culture reinforces them. So if you're new to us, you're going to be new to this little math thing I'm going to do. And I mess it up every time, but fortunately my daughter is an accountant and will set me straight viscerally if I mess this up. How many, like, look, we don't take attendance here. Don't worry about that. But my guess is that if you're like other people who would say, yeah, you know, I'm trying to figure out who this Jesus is, you probably are going to attend a worship service maybe once or twice a month. Most people attend a worship service about 15 times a year for about an hour. That's 15 hours a year. Or, no. Is that right? Where's my accountant daughter? Thank you. That's 15 hours a year. How many of you all have spiritual conversations somewhere other than church? And be honest, you don't need to answer this out loud, but I mean honestly, not very often. The Barna Group did some kind of survey and found out that not only is it pitifully seldom, it's really almost never. And that's people who say, hey, I'm trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is. But let's be generous and say there's another 15 hours a year that you are engaged in some kind of a spiritual formation, conversation with somebody. That's 30 hours. The other 4,000 hours, not 40,000, 4,000 hours a year, you are being influenced by something else. The music you listen to, and I'm not one of those people that thinks the devil's in rock and roll. I love rock and roll. But if we're not discerning about the words, the words can change us. I like hip-hop, but I sure don't like the words. But that's not the only influence. How about the talk radio? The news? The TV shows we watch? All of these things are influencing us. They are presenting us with spiritual options, the pantheon of emotions from which we can grab onto is laid out before us constantly. And because this culture right now is a culture of contempt, we are constantly bombarded with it. And within the culture, it is lifted up as normative. It is normalized. When people can say some things that we're going to talk about right there on TV and still have a watching audience, something has become normal. Okay? So give yourself some grace today. There's a reason why these emotional things, these spirits influence us, sometimes even overtake us, because not only are they presented to us by the culture that we spend 4,000 hours in, 
they are legitimized by that culture. They are made brag aboutable. Is that a thing? Okay, it's a thing now. All right. Okay. Let's talk about contempt. Actually, let me read the passage, and then we'll talk about contempt. I'm going to read the first half now, and then I'm going to read the second half in just a second. Oop, she didn't get the update. I'm going to read that part now. This is from Matthew chapter 5. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, if you're a church-going person. If you're new to this, this is Jesus' political manifesto. Now, let me clarify that. Jesus is not a Democrat or a Republican. He's not a Sadducee or a Pharisee. He's not a fascist. He's not a socialist. Whatever label you got running around your head about politics, Jesus is a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so what he's talking about in this manifesto is the way it works when God is in charge. And embedded in the middle of this is this. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or a sister you are liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to counsel. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell fire, to the fire of hell. The struggle we have is the languages involved in scripture are much more complex than ours. We kind of only have one word for angry. But really there's flavors of it, right? Anger is an, is an instinct. In and of itself, it's not unhealthy. God gave it to you. It's what you feel when you encounter something you know or think to be wrong. Something's wrong here. An injustice has occurred, or a perceived injustice has occurred. But what this passage is getting at is a secondary move. What do you do with that? Do we turn that into something else? Do we turn it into hate? Do we turn it into rage? Do we turn it into contempt? Because I think... And some scholars would agree, don't mistake me for one, that a better translation of this word is contempt. Contempt comes from a sense of self-righteous superiority. Somehow, I am enough better than you, superior to you, my righteousness stands so much above yours that it affords me the opportunity to condemn you. 
contempt. It means to look upon another person and judge them unworthy of the same rights and benefits you enjoy as a, a citizen of your motherland. To look upon somebody else and say, I am worthy of things that you are not worthy of. It is to say someone is unworthy. Why does Jesus put this into the same passage as a modifier of the commandment many of you are familiar with from the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder? the ancient prohibition of doing physical harm to another person. Why does Jesus do this? Because something has to happen in you before you can do harm, physical harm, to another person. The, the manifestation Murder is the manifestation of something going on in your soul. It starts in your mind, it moves to your soul, it gains a body, and usually a weapon, and bad, bad things happen. It begins by turning you into something other than me. Now look, I'll tell you something. I've been working on the streets of Milwaukee for almost 20 years now. And they have changed me more than I'm going to change them. But I have learned some things. I have learned some things about my own arrogance. I have learned some things about these little spaces of self-righteousness, these little strongholds in my life where... I've told God, feel free to cleanse me, just not this spot. I'm holding on to this spot. Because I just, I got this fear in me that, that if I open up this spot and admit that I'm actually just like this person, then what happened to this person could happen to me. You understand what I'm saying? That this is a drug addict. This is a felon. This is a homeless person. And if I let go of that stronghold and let God into that space and just admit that I am created just like this person, then I'm overwhelmed with fear at the possibility that I am not in control here and that things could happen to me that can happen to them. And you know what those little strongholds are made up of? Little bricks of contempt. Little things that make me say, I'm different than you. I'm not like that. Something you did caused that. We have to turn the other person into something other than a human being. And we do that strategically with labels. Let that sink in for a minute. 
So if you're new here, you may not know that part of my past was as a running dog of American imperialism, or whatever you want to say, as a soldier. Um, and among the things that I was trained to do was pull the trigger. We have to just take a minute and think about how they taught us to do that. I'm not here to judge that either. But I have analyzed it because I'm not a soldier anymore. And I don't want that in me. You start out doing a lot of running and marching and singing these things called jodies, songs, right? And in those songs, it never says anything about murdering another human being, another mother, son, or daughter. It never says that. I mean, for heaven's sakes, could you imagine running down the street talking about murdering and pillaging and stuff like that? No, you talk about, well, in my day, it was the commies. Because you, you can't murder another mother's son, but by golly, you can kill a commie for your mommy. So all of a sudden, you're starting to get these labels. Now, I don't know what the labels are now, but I grew up in the South, man. There were plenty of them. Everything was about putting people below you. Because if you ain't any better than a you-know-what, who are you better than? That's the same thing. And then they start to have pop-up targets. And they're not shaped like circles, they're shaped like people. And you don't murder them, you eliminate them. You neutralize them. You do a lot of things, but you don't break that commandment. And what's happening, though, is we are subtly being conditioned to look contemptuously on other people who are different from us, exploiting some visual, visible differences, some cultural differences that allow me to say, whatever I am, I'm sure not that. And that has to happen in order for any human being to disconnect from their instinct and pull the trigger. Because you cannot override the human, God-given instinct to preserve our species. You have to make the object of that activity something other than you. So Jesus talks about labeling. <clears throat> he talks about how contempt gets a body. And it moves in subtle ways. Turn on the news. How many times do you hear the word idiot? People with influence and access calling people idiots is more dangerous than you can imagine. Because if they're an idiot, they're not you. And if they're not you, you can look at them with contempt. And when you look at them with contempt, you are saying you are not worthy of the same protections and the same rights and the same benefits that our society offers as I am. 
And when that contempt moves from the individual to groups of people, horrible, horrifying things happen. And ordinary people raised very differently than that get a body and do things they never thought they would. Contempt. I spend time every day looking for it in my own soul. It's I have influence. It's dangerous for a person of influence to harbor contempt and not recognize it. To harbor that kind of hate that turns a person into a thing. That's what labeling does. By calling somebody the N-word or something like that, what you have done is turn that human being into a thing. And that, my friends, is contempt. And Jesus says, when you do that, you've essentially murdered that person. And you're guilty of exactly the same crime because you can't do one unless the other one precedes it. Now, he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us in the fires of hell. I don't even know what to do with that. Most fires of hell I've experienced, I'm the one holding the match, telling God to stop it. I think we create our own hells. But Jesus offers us something. There's always a path of repentance. There's always an antidote to the epidemic. And he gives it to us in the next two verses. And let me just read them quickly. So right after he talks about hellfire comes the word so. So if this happens to you, do this. He says, so when you are offering your gift at the altar, I'll get to that in a minute, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before you go to the altar and go see him. And first be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come offer your gift. Because look, if I am harboring contempt in my heart, I run the risk of asking God to do something about that. If I come to the, my place of worship thinking that I'm clean and worthy of offering up this offering and I am harboring contempt for my enemy, what is the request that I'm making of God? Can I come whole to the altar if I'm not whole with my brother and sister. So let me get at this for a minute because the people that Jesus is talking about are actually often the object of contempt, which invites us to do what? Give it back. In the same way that contempt dehumanizes us, 
the antidote that Jesus gives us is to rehumanize them. The answer is relational. The answer is go and make them human again. Go to them and have a conversation with them so that we can understand them, so that they aren't them, so that we can change the us and them back to what God intends, which isn't us and them, just us. So if we find ourselves feeling contemptuous about somebody, the solution to that is not to bury ourselves deeper into our little bubbles and our little places where everybody agrees with us and we can feel good about the contempt that we have, it is to break out of that bubble and go to the person and talk to that person so that we can understand that person as fully human. Because let me take you back to what I've learned. What I've learned is we're all more alike than we are different. Most of the differences are just constructs. And that if I had experienced the same things that the fully human person in front of me had experienced, I would be thinking and behaving the same way. That's a lot to think about. But if we're going to get to inclusion, we got to open up some spaces within us we got to find those things. we got to name them. we got to claim them. And then we got to find a way to get humble enough to, to be willing to let God change those things in us. Man, I grew up around some people that I don't have any pure memories of because of that N-word, because it was in my family. I could not have overcome that. I'm still overcoming it. I'm scared to death I'll get Alzheimer's and that demon will climb out of me and start to get a voice again. You understand what I'm saying? That stuff is in me. And I'm not capable of getting it out of me. But I am capable of being willing to allow God to get it out of me. Let's take a minute. We don't have a minute went over my time. <laughs> so rather than taking a minute, let's use this worship time to go deep inside of ourselves and um, look for those strongholds and ask God to help us with them. Please pray with me. It's not safe Lord, to go into these places because we might find out we're just wrong about some things. Some people that we think are idiots, Lord, they may not be idiots at all. Maybe it's us that's the idiot. I just pray, Lord, that you would make it safe enough for us to really think about this, to really think about the places of contempt in our spirit, to give them to you. As our ushers wait on us, Lord, 
Let's, let us use these moments to speak with you about it. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.